Um, so again, I just want to remind us why we're here this morning and why we're meeting in this way. Um, you know, what, what we want to do for the next few weeks is really try to model what we've been doing in our houses, in our home churches, uh, but doing it together as a larger group. And sometimes that format doesn't necessarily make sense because we're here gathered as many, but we're still trying to think small. Um, you know, but I, sometimes I like to just imagine that we're in a living room. So if you close your eyes and you picture yourself in someone's living room, that's the, that's the environment that we want to facilitate. It's a family-oriented environment, and what's expected in a family is that we all come together and we all bring something. No one shows up to a family's house expecting to be served. When you go to your mom and your dad, I mean, maybe depending on your parents, I don't know. Yeah, I, know I know some spoiled children, I guess. Um, you know, but the point is, when we're part of a family, we all serve a function, we all serve a role, and the whole spirit of what we're doing is to be gathered together. So I want to open up in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, because this talks about exactly what we're doing, we're wanting to do. Uh, I'm going to read verses 1 uh, through 8. And so I'm going to read this verse and, and then just open it up for some prayer, okay? Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what God wants us to do, and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself or herself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We all belong to each other. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So, here's the call to action. Let us use them. <laughs> Let us use them. Let me repeat that again. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts or encourages or spurs on one another. And that's what that means. I lost my... In his exhortation, and the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. One body, one family. And so I'm asking everyone today to contribute to be a part of the conversation, to be a part of contributing to what our service is today. And so I'm gonna ask Manny if you would open in prayer, and I'm gonna let it, I'm gonna let it float around. <laughs> I'm gonna let it linger and let it be a little awkward so that we can all contribute uh, for a time. And then I'll close and we'll go right into worship. All right? Father, we just thank you for this opportunity that we get to come together. 
we may be able to share with one another that what you're doing in our lives and that we may be able to glorify you in all that we do Lord. I thank you, Lord, for all your blessings and all you need to do. Oh, for the children, uh, Kristen, we're going to do a little bit like last week. Kristen's going to take the children over to uh, the next room um, for about, what do you say, Kristen, 20 minutes or so? 15, 20 minutes. 15, 20 minutes. And then the children will come back as we enter into our discussion time. And so they'll be, be at our tables and doing their own thing. Okay. So, children, you can go and Okay, good morning, church. Um, I'm going to share a few thoughts. I want to I want to begin by talking about myth. When you hear the word myth, what do you think of? What's a myth? Not true, right? I don't know which one you said. <laughs> it's some kind of story that's not true. Right? A fairy tale. That's what we think of when we think of myth. But I gotta tell you, you got the wrong picture if that's what you think of it. It's not necessarily false. It may very well be true. There's a wonderful series on PBS about, uh, uh, you've heard of Tolkien, right? Uh, the, the, the story of The Hobbit and the Trilogy of the Ring. Uh, you've heard of C.S. Lewis, uh, the Narnia Chronicles, right? They discuss what myth is. And yes, myth may be some phony made-up story that makes somebody feel good or uh, is interesting in its own right. But myth can also be a true story that you respond to somehow, and they go into the depths of that. Why is it? Some people will say that this book myth. It's a story. In that sense, they're right. It is a story. But is it true or is it phony? Is it a false myth like we think about myth or is it a true myth? And what they discuss when uh, Tolkien and uh, Lewis have this discussion, they talk about the myth of this story and why does it, why is it that these stories resonate with something within us? that they're not phony. Somehow there's a reality behind them. I can't put my finger on it, I can't prove it mathematically or scientifically, but yet I know that somehow it relates to me. There's some truth in it, somehow. And we read about that this week in Jeremiah 31. I'm gonna read a little bit from Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse, uh, in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be my, their God, and they will be my people. And no longer will each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, 
for they shall all know me from the least from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I remember their sin <coughs> why is it that when I read these stories something within me says that's truth how do I know that I know it because God wrote it on my when I hear the truth, it sinks up. It registers, right? It strikes a familiar chord within me, and I know that that's truth. That's how I became saved. I was going through life trying to figure things out, and I heard the gospel message, and it's like, yeah, that's true. That's what's wrong. That's the missing piece that I need. Because it was always there in me. God put it there. I just didn't know that that myth was true. And when Tolkien writes about the Hobbit, and if you've ever read the trilogy of the Ring, you see Frodo go through the whole deal, right? Trying to understand his, his world and dealing with the ring that is evil, right? And, and trying to destroy it. He's the Christ figure. Why is that story so, uh, so popular? Why does it resonate? Because it's telling this story in another myth, a made up myth by a man, but it's the same story. It's the same idea of a redemptive God reaching out through individuals through the Christ figure and making peace between himself and a sinful people. Or the Narnia Chronicles, Aslan the Lion is the Christ figure, same sort of thing, and people, Entrapped in sin in life, and Aslan sacrifices himself to win. Why are those stories? Why? Do, why are they so well known and so valued? Because they represent this truth to us in a different format, a different way to, to learn about it, a way that kids would read those books and love them, and not know, or not know why, because they don't know yet that the word of God is written on their hearts. That's what. was a famous, I can't think of his name right now, the father of socialism, what's his name? Karl Marx. Marx. Marx famously said that religion is the opium of the masses. He didn't believe. He wanted this to be a myth in the sense of an untrue story. He didn't understand how it resonated because he rejected so he said, oh, it makes people feel good. It's like opium. It, it, it takes away all the stress, all the strain. It makes you feel wonderful. Well, he's right. It, does, it did take the stress away, but not because it was a phony myth. Because it's a genuine myth. It's a true story that really does resonate within our, within our bodies, within our minds. And we know the truth when we hear it. So this myth, right, this is the seed that we've been reading about this week. The seed that gets planted. What do you do with seed? You throw it everywhere. Because it won't survive everywhere, right? But the only, it's hard to recognize where are the places it will survive and where won't it. So you throw it everywhere and you let it sprout where it sprouts. See, I can't control the seed. I, I can't control this truth. 
It belongs to God. He made it. I can't change it. But I can control the ground that's planted because that ground, that's me. That's my soul within me. And I can be stony ground that rejects that message so that it tries to spring up quick, but there's no growth. It doesn't, it, it won't last. I can be weedy ground that, that, that lets, it have a, lets it grow along with a ton of other things and it get, the word gets choked out, right? Or I can, I can work through prayer and spending time with the Lord to, to be good soil where it will sprout up and produce crops 30 and 50 and 100 times over what was planted. I need to take this seed and mix it with faith. I'm going to go over to the famous uh, faith chapter, Hebrews 11. I just want to read the beginning of this chapter. He's defining, the writer is defining for us what faith is. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The substance of things hoped for. Were you listening as people were talking about uh, some of the things that have recently gone? I don't know your name, but you told the story about uh, tuition and your desire to go to school. And she could have held on to that and said, I want this. I'm going to make this happen my way. Or you can let it go. I said, God, you open the doors in the right place in the right time. And then she gets a phone call and it's all paid for. It's done and done. You know, by faith, things hoped for turn into reality as God blesses it. It's his truth. It's his reality. It's his myth. His story that we make ourselves enjoy and become a part of. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made of things that are visible. See, we got this idea that this is all so, so fast and so fixed. There was a time and a place where none of this existed. Before creation, there was nothing. How did it get here? Did we all work really hard? No. God spoke. And bang, it was there. Reality is his word. That's truth. That's myth become real. A true myth. A true story. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as, right, as uh, righteous. God commanding him by accepting, uh, commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks by faith. What made Abel's gift acceptable to God? Remember the story? What did Abel offer? The first fruits, the most valuable, the most precious of what he had, he gave to God. What did Cain, what does it say about Cain? 
He took some of his stuff and gave it to God. Yeah. He was done spending, his food was all paid, the rent was paid, and he took the last $20 and put it in the basket. So different. What's different is that heart that makes the offering, that decided what was valuable, the most precious. When David uh, wanted to make a sacrifice before the Lord, and he was bringing the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant back, and he was at the, uh, I forget the man's the name of the man's house, but the man offered to give David everything he needed to make a sacrifice. And David says, no, I won't offer to God something that costs me nothing. It's of no use. God doesn't want scraps, something I take from you. I borrow a little bit from you and a little bit over there. And I put it together and say, here you go, God. Here's my wonderful gift to you. David knew it had to be costly. Because what God has done for us is costly. Our hope and future is through faith, by faith. I'm not going to go read any further, but you keep reading there and you're going to come to a verse that says, It is impossible to please God without faith. This seed, this myth, these stories, I need to recognize them as true, and then I need to mix them inside me with faith. And when I do, then Laura decides she needs to stay home. Then the bills get paid when I didn't know they would be. Then I go to school, and I have my heart's desire when God knows the time is right. Truth is not some objective, strange thing that we need to keep killing ourselves about. Truth was written into our hearts. And if we will have faith, then truth will dominate in our lives. And God's truth, truths that we wish, things hoped for, the reality, they be, the things we hope for become reality. That's what that first verse said, right? That's what faith is. The reality of things hoped for. That's what faith does. It makes real what seems impossible. Yeah, no, I just wanted to um, take a few minutes to even respond to that. Okay, good. Any kind of um, thoughts that were provoked from uh, what Dad had to share regarding seed and the myth and living by faith? I, I like the fact that um, when you talk about, you know, you think about C.S. Lewis, and the one thing that I, I understand about him is that he was medium. And how God wrote his truth on our hearts. So no matter what, how you start out with, God will bring you to him. He's not going to let you go. And we have to help our people out there. Other thoughts or feedback on that? I love that, uh, Jay, you shared uh, from Psalm 1, um, perfectly in alignment with just kind of where we're at. God's saying, like, 
This is the verse I read um, last night. The Lord brought this to my attention. In Isaiah 7, Isaiah 7, 9, it says, If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Faith is what carries us through. Faith in Jesus is what is going to bring us through. And we can have it, or we can choose not to have it, not to operate by it. But if we don't have that faith and don't apply it, we will not stand at all. This is, you know, when the Lord spoke these things and, and created us and called us to, to, to this place, it's to live and operate by faith, always looking at him. He is our first gaze. Everything else goes through him. Everything else gets filtered through God, through his perspective. It goes through him. And that's, that's what it means to live by faith. God, what do you think about this situation? What do you think about this decision I have to make? What do you think I should do with this? Always first to the Father. And then through that interaction, we take our marching orders and we live that way. And we can do so with confidence because we know where it came from. It's not something we just kind of decided upon our own. We brought this to the Lord. And whether or not you heard like an audible voice and firmly, like you surrendered it to the Lord and then you walked away feeling confident, break, gave it to him first, and now you're going to proceed, knowing it's in his hands. And he will always bring us through when we operate by faith. Um, Adam, you, I don't know if you read this. Oh, no, this is Romans 1.20. talks about how all of creation teaches us about who God is, teaches us about the kingdom. I'll read that one verse. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky, and through everything that God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. Because the creator who made us, made everything around us, we see his nature in his creation, in his art. We can learn about it. And so this is the... This is um, why even when Jesus gave so many parables, he used the things tangible right around. Seeds, trees, plants. They teach us about the kingdom. And I've been, I've been learning about this and just um, amazed at God's creation. The depths of the, the, the intricate details of these things that we're just discovering. And they continue to preach the word of God. Things that with like highest tech science and observations are telling us now, even those things preach the word of God. Adam mentioned the trees, like how the root systems of these trees, they connect underground. They send out not just roots, but like these hair-like follicles all through the dirt. And they all, they're all connected with this fungi called mycelium. And they actually make use of this fungi that attaches to the roots and they send through communications through their roots, through that fungi, and to their partnering trees. And through that, they can send messages back and forth. And not only that, they can actually share nutrients. This is the interesting thing. When you have saplings that are hidden under these huge, monstrous trees in a forest, they get no sunlight at all. How do they continue to grow? They don't get any sunlight that they need, but these parent trees send the nutrients from the sun through their roots to these saplings to keep them alive and to keep them growing until they can get their own sunlight. This is how they exist. There was a man who was studying these things. He was walking through the woods one day and he sees what he thought was a rock with kind of like moss on it. And he stopped to take a closer look and he realized 
It was actually a stump, and the center, the center of the stump was kind of hollow and rotted out. But next to it, well, he thought it was a, a rock, but at closer look, it was just a bunch of moss growing over it. He scraped it off, realized it was a stump, and took his knife and carved at this old stump. It had been cut down hundreds of years ago, three, four hundred years prior. He carves at this old stump and finds fresh, soft wood, moist wood in the stump that was sitting there for centuries. Why? This at one time was one of these parent trees. It's well connected in the root system. And all the neighboring trees are keeping this stump alive. A stump. This is, this is the amazing. But I think about the necessity for us to be connected to one another. This is how God designed us to be. Not just to know him, but to know him together and to know one another. And man, these things preach that gospel to us. They preach that message of, of being connected and learning from one another. I, um, so uh, earlier this year, I, I went on Marketplace and I saw that Heidi had posted a little uh, plant for sale. A Chinese money plant. This is, this was her, this is called the Chinese money plant. And she, it had had like a little, it propagated, so it had a little baby, and she was selling it on the marketplace for a few bucks. And I said, I want that! So she said, here, take it. <laughs> and so I did. This was, this was that plant over here. I did, and then I took it home, and I brought it, and now it continued to grow, and that's this one here. And this thing was tiny when I got my first got it. And you know something? We've had this slide, what, five months? Something like that? And ever since we put it in the soil, it probably started within, within the first three or four weeks. We start seeing little leaves pop up out of the ground. It started having these baby plants right away. And so not only did yours continue to sprout and have more, you've given more, you give one to Laurel, which is sitting right here. Ours, we've already given some away and we have like another four or five that we've, they've sprouted up, we take it, we transplant it, we propagate it, and put it into its own pot. And that's what's sitting at every, every one of these tables here. Those are babies that came from this one, that came from that one. So we've got a heritage right here of Chinese money plants sitting in, in our midst. Amen. <laughs> There's a big old grandma right there. She's still producing. <laughs> that's, the, that's Sarai at, at 99 years old, having a, still producing. <laughs> But the amazing thing is this. Heidi is amazing with plants. She just cares for plants, makes sure it gets the, the sun it needs, the nutrients that it needs. You, you nurse back our orchid back to health from the kitchen. <laughs> and just by caring for the plant, making sure that its needs are met, this thing just does what it's meant to do. It grows bigger and it reproduces. It gets bigger and it reproduces. And we make sure that when it reproduces and it starts to propagate, we actually take it out so it can continue to grow. If it doesn't get out and put into another pot, it's going to die out. It can't continue to grow unless it is taken out and re replanted. And this is how we, we care for this. But with that proper care, it continues to grow and, and be healthy. And this is what we see as we continue to grow and give attention to the things that God calls us to. We grow and we reproduce. I want to do a little exercise together before we uh, move to prayer. And um, it's based around Matthew 13. This week we read all about seeds and what it means to sow seeds and what those produce. 
Well, Matthew 13 is where Jesus gave that parable. Remember the one of the most famous parables about uh, the sower sowing the seeds. And like that had mentioned, he just he just throwing it everywhere, careless. Like those, it didn't cost him anything. He's just throwing it, it's getting all over the path, it's getting on the rocky soil by the path, it's getting into the field, it's getting in amongst thistles. And there's all different kinds of results based upon where it lands. So I'm gonna read this quickly and then I'm gonna give you something to take a few minutes to do. The parable, as you'll probably be well familiar with, the farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds, they came and ate it right up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. And that sprang up quickly. But because the soil was shallow, as soon as the sun came up, those plants were scorched. And they withered away because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which they grew up because the, the, and the thorns choked out the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. 160 or 30 times what was actually sown. This parable was confusing to the original audience, even his own disciples who walked with him every single day. Like, what are you talking about? And he actually took time to explain why he teaches in parables and what that particular one meant. So, just for clarity purpose, if you clarify it for them, let's clarify it for ourselves here. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. Snatches away what was sown in their heart. The bird comes and pulls it right up. You don't believe it? Gone. The moment's over. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, it chokes the word out and make it, makes it unfruitful. But that seed that falls on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word, understands it, and that's the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times over. I want to take a minute to reflect upon the soil, these different types of soil. And I want to, I want to take a minute to individually take an assessment, just a fun exercise. And then we're going to put that to put our heads together and kind of see what that looks like, just as far as where we are at as a church. Is everybody good? Um, and just for fun of it. Who thinks that understand? Who would say understanding the word is top priority? No one. Crickets. Yeah. Wow. They're all equally important. Well, how do you do that? Well, who thinks relationship with Jesus? Relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Number one. But what about yielding to the Holy Spirit? That was that was that was. You keep no time. No time. Force right now. Oh, you're average. What was that? Oh, you lost it. <laughs> what about sharing life with Christ followers? What number is it? Two? Two? Six. Wow. I wouldn't have made it through my life without that people. Right? Wow. What about the roots, people? <laughs> All right. 
if somebody can pull out a foam calculator, I want to add these numbers up together. So who has a calculator handy? Kayla has it. Okay, I'm going to point at each table and I'm going to ask you the number for understanding the word. This is your whole your whole tally. Yeah. What is understanding the word? Understanding the word? Uh, 17. 17? 17. Plus? 28. Wow. Yep, in the back? 5. 24. Plus 24? 24. What do you want? Plus your table. 13. Anyone here? 13. 13. 13. Okay. We're going to see all these totals, and the lowest number shows our our highest priority as a church. Okay, just from our feedback. Okay. Relationship with Jesus. We're going to add those tallies. Four. Four. Eight. Yep. Two. Two? There's four of you. Oh. Okay, two. Two. Five. Five. Uh, uh, relationship with Jesus. Eleven. Eleven. guys? Shared life. Shared life. Let's go back around the horn again. 19. 32. 32. 11. 11. 27. 31. 31. Shared life. 24. 24. 156. 1. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Couple more. Engage the word. Engage word. 10. 10. 27. Ten. Seventeen. 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 Practice the word. Put it into practice. Okay, and finally yielding to the spirit. Uh, 50. 50? 20. 20. 20. 6. Uh, yielding to the spirit. 15. 15. 27. 27. 108. 108. Okay. This is where we stand then. So that would be. This is number one. Okay, I think we're in a good, we're, that's a good thing. It's a good start. Next lowest, human to the spirit. Interesting. Uh, oh, yeah. Thank you, Heidi. You are always on the ball. Then human to the spirit. It's hard to do that without that, too, isn't it? Uh, and then, word. Four. Five. 
Six. Wow. So if you guys can see this, this is interesting, our feedback as a church. Relationship with Jesus, number one. Sharing life with one another. Last. That's sad. No. Because the culture that we live in, in the United States of America, is very independent and tends to be isolated. So this is accurate re re reflection of the society that we live in. I have as well, number two. The society that we're being called out of. I But I think this is solid. I think this is really great feedback. Relationship with Jesus, one, and engaging with the word, two. It's got to be. It's got to be there. That's, that to me, that's a sign of health. And yielding to the spirit, number three, that's solid. That is good. That is good. So the elements of communion are at the center of your table, if you want to take those. And we always like to circle back to this and come back to this because this keeps us centered on what it's all about. We talked a lot about how it's about faith. We stand by faith. In what? In Jesus Christ. And by taking the elements together, this practice of sharing communion, taking in the juice which represents his shed blood and his body, the bread which represents his broken body, the word says that when we do that, we proclaim his death and resurrection until he returns. So by doing this, this is an act of faith saying, this is who I believe in and my hope is set on Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So let's take this together. And Jesus, we just thank you for your broken body. Thank you for allowing your body to be broken so ours could be healed. Thank you for shedding your blood so that we could be saved and know abundant life here and now and even have eternal life forever with you and one another. So today we receive, Jesus, your body and your blood.